morning. Please be turning in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 57. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 57, Scripture says, Now it happened, as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I'll follow you. I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Question for you today, this morning, is what do you think is the greatest danger the church faces today? And when I say church, don't think about the building or bills or the economics of keeping the building open, the lights on. Now, what I'm talking about when I ask that question, I'm talking about the people and the danger that faces us, all of us, as Christians. Doctrinal challenges are a danger that faces the church. Doctrinal errors, they face us all the time. You know, instead of getting back to the Bible and the doctrines of Christ, there are doctrines of men and women that have found their way into the church of Christ. Yes, doctrinal error is a danger, but there is a danger that lies beneath that is allowing doctrinal error to flourish. Moral issues confronted in our society, like homosexuality, hate, divorce, anger, racism, not only affects the secular world, but also affects the church, even right here in our congregation. Consider how rampant and accepted some more issues are accepted by the body, the Church of Christ. Think about how easy it is today to get a divorce, how disposable marriages are and have become. Think about how easy it is to do away with an unwanted pregnancy uh, through abortion. Think about and consider the immorality in our nation a lot that has found its way into the church and even our congregation, like drunkenness and sexual perversion, brothers and sisters dressing in clothing or, or not putting on enough clothes or tight or so revealing to entice the opposite sex right here in the building. This is one of the greatest dangers we face, but something greater is even behind this danger. So, what is the greatest danger we face here at the Anchorage Congregation? You already know what it is if you looked at the back of the bulletin. 
but it's summed up in this in these words and these phrases. I don't care. Whatever. It doesn't bother me. It, I, I'm really not interested. It's not that important. It doesn't bother me like it bothers you. Now, maybe we don't say those things out loud, but maybe we, we think those things. But these words describe what I believe is the greatest danger facing us right here in this congregation, and that is apathy. Yes, doctrinal matters challenge our congregation. Yes, moral issues, as I described, are a danger to us. But they don't have to be an issue for us unless we have an apathetic attitude towards them. An attitude that says, I I hear the elders about needing teachers and Bible classes uh, for Bible classes and attendance for Bible class and worship services. But it's, it's really not that important. God knows my heart. It's an attitude that says that people can believe what they want to believe and do what they want to do. It really doesn't matter. What if you took this approach and this attitude and other aspects of your life? Say you go down to the dealership and you go buy a new fancy car and you drive it off the lot, it only has about 10 miles on it. And then someone says to you, you know, you, you got to do, you know, regular oil changes on this car. And you say, well, I don't care. Someone else tells you, hey, somebody just spilled a milkshake in your front passenger seat. And you might want to clean that up before you get a really bad smell in the car or, or it damages your upholstery. And you say, well, that's not my job. It's not a big deal. What if you have an apathetic attitude, not only towards your car, but also about your house, but towards your life? You probably wouldn't have those things pretty long, and it would be disastrous to say the least. What if you had this attitude that I don't care, the apathetic attitude towards your job? How long would you keep that job? How about towards your marriage, towards the needs of your your husband or or your wife. You know, you might you might say, I know I know that they need this or that for me or I need to do this for them, but it's no big deal. They they'll figure it out. They'll they'll be all right. Will this be a happy, uh, happy and loving home? I'm sure you know that this attitude is terrible to have in our lives. It would be terrible to have this attitude about a vehicle that you just bought, you trying that's going to take you to that job that you don't have a care in the world about, uh, and then to drive you back home to a marriage, to a family that you just kind of, uh, it is what it is. If we can see how disastrous that is in that part of our life, then we should recognize how disastrous the attitude of apathy in our lives is in our spiritual lives, in our relationship towards God. Are we thinking, worshiping every Sunday morning and evening? It's not that important. I used to bring, I need to bring my Bible and use it. Why? It's going to be on the screen. Dealing with other people in the congregation that I do not really know. That's not something I want to be bothered with. 
having an apathetic attitude when it comes to spirituality leads to not addressing those doctrinal challenges and moral issues that I mentioned earlier. So today, we'll use the word of God as a mirror to our soul. And you may not like what you see because I believe that all of us have a little bit of apathy in us about something and that some of us have a whole lot. But you have to be honest with yourself, just like I have to be for myself to be sure. Let's look at the progression of apathy that may start out small, but then manifest itself in so many areas of our lives. Now, apathy usually starts out with losing the zeal for God and his work. You know, you see, you stop serving God like you used to. Remember that fire that you had when you first became a Christian or when you first arrived here at the Anchorage congregation? And it was big. What happened to it? Did you get lazy like those we read about in Matthew 25, 3? You know, those who were foolish, those, those virgins, those virgins, excuse me, who were foolish and took their lamps and took no oil with them. They did not bring any oil with them, but then they expected others to give them what they would not lift a hand to get for themselves when they had it within them. Or, are you like the man in verses, in the same chapter of Matthew 25, verses 18, 24 through 26, who did not want to be bothered by the work given to him? Or just maybe you start to make excuses to Jesus like those in Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 16, where it says, Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Do you, like these folks, manufacture excuses in regards to your relationship with God? Like making excuses of why you're not here on Sunday evenings or Wednesday nights. Or maybe making excuses not to involve yourself in spiritual activities that are not related to fun times. Excuses to soothe your consciousness. Yesterday, the kids were reminded of this during during the brunch, the bite to school brunch is that we have to realize that God sees and knows all. So regardless of the excuses that we make to one another, God already knows. Losing your zeal for God and his work also has you delaying or even putting off obedience. Are you like, if you're sitting here today and haven't put on Christ, like Felix in Acts 24, 25, when he knew the truth, Soon as he knew the truth, he delayed and, in fact, did not put on Christ because, well, I'm not ready yet. He never got ready as far as we are concerned in knowing the scripture. Or are you like the disciples in Luke chapter 9 that we read in verses 57 through 61 who say they love Jesus, but right now I have other things to do because, hey, 
It's summertime. And we'll be back in the fall. This is in line with procrastination. And I tell you, we as Christians, we are very good at that. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. <coughs> Excuse me. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. But what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. In the case of an apathetic, it's not that important attitude. As you lose your zeal for God and his work, you then quickly start to lose interest in spiritual matters. You become dull of hearing, as Hebrews 5.11 says. And maybe you get like the wedding guests in Matthew chapter 22 who were invited by the king to his son's wedding. But as verse 5 says, <coughs> excuse me, they made light of the invite and went their way. We are making light of God and his commandments when we lose interest in spiritual matters. We then neglect or become indifferent about our salvation, as Hebrews 2.3 says. And then apathy, or another word that can be used as lawlessness, moves into our hearts and we grow cold to our spirituality, to our salvation, Matthew 24.12. We see doctrinal matters that should be important, but then we hear something new. And we follow that instead of what is true. We should love the Lord with all our hearts, all our soul, and all our strength. See, God does not call upon us to give just part of our lives. He calls on us to give our entire being. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. You see, the danger of apathy is the foundation of doctrinal error and indifference to moral issues that face the church, that aids in our loss for zeal for, the, for God and his work, that aids in the loss of interest in spiritual matters and the way we live, the way we think, and the way we talk. When we look at spiritual matters, we should never, it should never enter our minds that it is a burden. It should never enter our minds that worshiping God and studying about God, whether we're here in this building or on Monday or Thursday at home or whenever it is, that is a time-consuming inconvenience. We should never look at spiritual matters as not a have-to-do, but a get-to-do a privilege, and an advantage as a child of God. Now, <clears throat> you may be saying right now, looking at me, Jayla, you have no right to judge me. I do give God my all in my way. He understands what I have, what my family has going on. He is still blessing me. He's still blessing us. You know, Satan also gives us things under the guise that you have good fortune and that it's coming from God. 
and not from him. That is, if you decide to keep the blinders on. You see, when you decide to serve God in your way that makes you all right with the way you are serving him, you have made plenty of room for secular and worldly interests. As we read in Luke chapter 9, again, verses 57 through 62, you, you get more interested in doing your own thing. Much like the children of Israel in Judges 21-25, they had no king, so they just started doing what they thought was right in their own heart, in their own eyes. We become like Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. We can't be bothered by spiritual work, evangelism, attending every service because, well, your love for the present world is greater. And when my kids are older, when I am older, I'll have the time to do what type of that type of work. Well, we just read in James, we're not, it's alluded to, we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know that tomorrow is going to come, that old age is going to come. But having this attitude and not keeping your focus on God will allow you to be like David in 2 Samuel 11.2 or, or like Peter in John 18.18, finding yourself in compromising situations. Because of this, you are more susceptible to yield to lust, desires, and peer pressure. I remember saying to the kids before here that peer pressure doesn't just happen to children, to teenagers. It happens to us all. Well, James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15 says that each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. This sermon, it may be hard to sit through. Maybe hard for you to hear it, sitting here in person or online. But it's even more depressing, or has been, <coughs> excuse me, for me and for the elder, uh, the other elders, to think about our congregation and where it's headed for the last few months, the last 18 months, to tell you the truth. And it's been depressing and hard for me to study on it and now to preach on it. Not because it's not the truth. Lord willing, any time that I stand before you, any time any of us will stand before you, uh, we will preach the truth because that's what God expects. But I don't want any of us in this congregation to lose our zeal for God and his work. But many in our number have. I don't want anyone in our congregation to lose interest in spiritual matters. But so many have, many before the pandemic. COVID just exposed more of that truth. I don't want any of us, any of us here to make room for secular or worldly interests. But many in our congregation have. Let me clarify. There's nothing wrong with doing things outside the church playing sports or having hobbies. But when you replace all those, you replace God with all of that. You have lost your interest in spiritual matters and you've made room for other things that are not God. 
And because of that, we must speak on it and not act like we're immune. We can't just allow things to keep going and not say anything. I don't want any of us in our congregation, I don't want anyone in the church to get entangled with the snares and tentacles of sin. But some have been hardened their hearts and their minds towards God, like the seed in Luke 8, 14, or like the people in Matthew 13, 15, whose hearts had grown cold and their ears had become hard of hearing. If you're sitting here today or in person or online, and you've been using God's word as a mirror, as I've asked you to at the beginning of this sermon, and you're not liking what you see back, please know that you can beat back this apathetic attitude. First, you have to take the focus off of you and put it back on God. James chapter 4, starting at verse 7 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what will he do? It says, and he will lift you up. And when you have this thought and this compassion compassionate attitude in mind it allows you to say what john says in john three thirty: he must increase and i must decrease you must replace the attitude of apathy that i don't care i don't know whatever with an attitude that says god is most important in everything in every decision i make in everything i do God is what's important. He is who is important. Every decision I make, let me go to God first. Then you need to remember what Jesus did for you. Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 14, reads, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus. And if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer for them, excuse me, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now now then, when we are, excuse me, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he had made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. <coughs> the scripture there says, excuse me, <clears throat> we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We've been studying the minor prophets um, this quarter, 
And what we should have seen and should see is that God, through his, through his prophets, has been telling his people, come back to me, repent and come back to me. God is always saying that to us, come back to him. You're not coming back to me, you're not coming back to the elders, you're coming back to God. It is God you're coming back to. Remember, you are a pilgrim. You have a short time on this earth. This is not our home. And though we act like it a lot of times, I'll be so glad to be in paradise, more importantly, in heaven, rather than being here and dealing with the issues that this world offers. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we are from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who will transfer, transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Then we must go back and remember and do your first works. Revelation 2.5 says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Seems like the theme throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. When you sin as a Christian, you repent, ask God for forgiveness, and you get back on the straight and narrow path. Sometimes that broad path seems so wonderful, though. We may not even say it. Say it. We may not even see it until it's too late. Once you go back, you have to get back in love with studying the Bible, with reading the Bible, with applying the Bible and what it teaches to your life. There's so many verses that speak towards this. Psalm 119, verses 47 through 48 says, and I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Statutes. Verse 49, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Verses 119, 127, 159, 163, you can go on and on and on. And you might say, well, that's not me writing that. It can be you. It can be us. That's why it's there for us to put it on our hearts. Romans 10, 17 tells us that so faith comes by hearing. And where does hearing come from? That's right, from the word of God. Spend quality time with zealous people. We don't have to just wait till we're here in the building to spend time with one another. I'll tell you, we need to be like they did in Acts 2.46 and be spiritually encouraged by our brothers and sisters as it is alluded to in Romans 1.12. And I'll tell you this, don't let whether somebody has a mask on or not stop you from doing that. Our love goes way beyond that. Our love for God should as well. Then teach someone else the gospel. You are a member of the body of Christ. You know how you came to Christ. Tell somebody else about that. If you had a bomb 
there was a bomb in somebody's house and you knew exactly where it was at and you knew that people were in that house and they didn't know when you go in there and tell them you know that bomb is not going off for 50 minutes but you would still go in there and run in there and tell them there's a bomb in your house you might want to get out it's going to be up to them that they decide to get out right but why would you just sit there and not tell them about it we know that Jesus is coming back scripture tells us that and when he comes back, he's going to bring those that are his home. Tell other people about that. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 4, says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Teach someone the gospel and don't stop at one person. We see people all the time, do we not? Tell somebody about Jesus. Tell somebody about God. Get up the nerve and say something. Say something. Because you don't want to stand before Jesus and he may ask you, why didn't you say something? I don't know what he's going to say. I don't, I'm not going to put words in Jesus' mouth. I also don't want that to happen for myself. I have to do a better job at that as well. Brothers and sisters, if you find yourself doing these things, apathy will not have a place in your heart. As I said before, repent. Repent of your apathetic attitude if you have it. As God for his, ask God for his forgiveness and know that he will forgive you because he said he would. Put God first back in your life. If you've not been saved the way the Bible says to be saved, I encourage you to make a full and lifelong commitment to Christ today. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? According to John 3.16, God wants you to believe in his son who he sent to die in our place. None of us are worthy of that. But God has made us worthy through his son. I, I often wonder, why does God love me? Why did God decide to make man and then send his son? Scripture tells us because he loved us. He loves us. He loves us. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die in our place. If you believe, then repent. That means turn your life, you are, turn your life around from that you are living, no matter how good you think you've been living. Without Christ, you are living for Satan. If you're not with God, you're with Satan. There is no gray area. You are living for Satan. According to Acts 17.30, God wants you to repent. You must then confess your belief in Jesus, for he says so in Matthew 10, 32. And even then, you're still not saved. Saying, asking Jesus into your heart or touching the Bible or the radio and letting somebody pray for you or just thinking, okay, I'm a Christian now. You're not saved. You're not saved until you do as the faithful ones did in Galatians three twenty seven. You must be immersed 
be baptized into water. When you do that, your sins are forgiven, according to Acts 2.38. And God asks you to the church. You don't join the church. God asks you to the church, according to Acts 2.47. And your name is registered in heaven, Hebrews 12.23. Kids are getting ready to go back to school. And teachers are going to call roll. When they call roll, they call your, they call the kid's name and Jaylee Jackson. Here, I raise my hand. When God calls that roll in heaven, don't we all want to be able to raise our hand and say, I'm here. I'm present. I'm ready to go. We have to give our lives, all of us, back to God, not just on Sunday, every day. Every minute of our lives. And it's hard to do that. I get that. I understand that. Yet, we must do it. You don't think it was hard for God to send Jesus? God in the flesh. To, turn, to not be able to do and not do anything when he saw his son on the cross because of us. He wanted us to be in heaven. He wants us to be in heaven with him. We all, once we are saved, must live faithfully. Avoiding Apathy. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I ask that whatever your need is, whether you would like us to pray for you because you're repenting and you want it, you want to get your life back with God come forward. If you are not a member of the body, if you have not put on Christ in baptism, the water is ready. We're ready to help you. Whatever your need is, please come as we stand and sing Invitational Hymn. While the light from the throne shines through you and me, let us raise to the call of love. Zion's call is ringing, coming from the throne.